Welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 53, our 2012 holiday special. I am your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are taking a break from our usual uh, episode reviews uh, to just talk fun Star Trek stuff and um, maybe some other stuff too. Uh, if you listen to us strictly for the reviews, that's cool. We'll be back in uh, three weeks uh, with our next batch of, of next-gen stuff. But if you would like to just hear some fun, good old holiday heartwarming stories, stay with us. Here we go. Um, I remember a story Steve used to tell back in uh, when he was in college, and I always got such a kick out of it, and I have asked him if he will retell them <laughs> our listeners today. So, this- all right, yeah, you know, and this is one of those stories that I, enough time has passed that I get confused on exactly which class it was. If it was during college, if it was during, I went to um, Missouri Scholars Academy during high school. It could have been during that too, because I remember one of the professors we had there. Um, was very much into Star Trek, but basically there was a there was an exam, and you know I think this lasted maybe a couple of exams before the whole thing kind of got squashed um, due to uh, the other students having problems with this. But he had a he had a go ahead. It would have been a business based class, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I don't recall the exact nature of it, but nothing to do with <laughs> nothing to do with uh, science with. Uh, uh, television with movie, and, and, you know, whatever. So um, we uh, got through. I remember that first test where this happened. I had no idea what to expect. Got through. Got through the whole thing. I think. I think it was basically a multiple choice exam with some a little bit of essay stuff, and then at the end, bonus section. And there they were, about five to ten um, Star Trek trivia questions, multiple <laughs> choice. Um, and I, you know, it's just kind of like one of those. All of a sudden, you think. Uh, Maybe I'm still asleep. Maybe I'm just thinking about the exam. It'll go be the best case scenario to happen, you know, the next day. I don't recall. <laughs> but, as, uh, you know, you kind of look around and see anyone else's expression. I didn't, you know, whatever. And so I just go zipping down. And then, of course, they, to me, they were all easy stuff and just go through a turn. And, of course, I got them all right. And they may be bonus questions, but they've added on just like points on any other questions. Oh. And uh, I I remember there was at least one exam where this this flew again, and I I kind of there were some grumblings. I heard some grumblings, and I suspect he had to remove that because essentially, of course, this uh, gave an edge to anybody who was uh, into Star Trek. <laughs> uh, that's great. That's so awesome. I can't imagine what it'd be like. I'm sitting there just taking a test, and then I get to those questions. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's awesome. Oh well, yeah. I always, unfortunately, I always remember that part of that story where he had to shut it down too. Yeah. Gods, <laughs> not only that that you were in a class where this guy did this, but that must have been like the only time he did it since he had to shut it down so quickly. Right. Right. Like, yeah. Exactly. It's crazy. See, Brian, we should have got questions like you know we were both film students. Why didn't we have a teacher like that give us questions? Can you yeah, see? Really? Can you imagine Doctor Staples throwing down Star Trek questions on a test? <laughs> <laughs> I've been more like, when did I meet John Ford? You know, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I told some of my favorite, some of my best stories last year's holiday uh, episode, but I, I remembered one other one that, that still make, gives me a chuckle. I'm very close to my brother, but, you know, we don't live near one another, so I don't get to see him too often. Um, but 
he's not really into Star Trek. He's into pop culture. Um, but one time he went with me to a Star Trek convention. This was in Dallas, I think. And um, there were some Klingons walking around. And these guys were like, I mean, they, they, the, their outfits, they looked like they were right out of the movies. It was like the best Klingon outfits I've ever seen. And uh, my, my brother said, tell me something to say in Klingon. I want to go say something to him in Klingon. And I said, I don't, I, don't, I don't speak Klingon, man. And he said, I thought you were a Star Trek fan. All Star Trek fans speak Klingon. I said, no, I don't even think I have the book. He goes, well, you got to know something. And I said, well, I know Kapla. Everybody knows Kapla. That means success. And he goes, okay, well, something, what else? And I sat there thinking about it for a minute, and I remembered the DS9 episode, Looking for Parmok in all the wrong places. <laughs> so I said, oh, I, and I know the word Parmok. And he said, great. <laughs> Before I could tell him what it meant, he ran up to this Klingon that was a whole head taller than him, and he said, Kapla, Parmok. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that would be uh, success love, I suppose. Um, and that was just a... It was pretty funny. I don't think the Klingon got it, actually, which would have been funnier. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, what? I just remember that. Yeah. Let's see. My favorite Trek story, I guess that would be around Christmas. It was shortly after Christmas. It was um, actually not too, I guess, six years ago. Goodness. Or seven years. It's coming up on seven years. I um, The job I work in, we do, I do a lot of TV stuff for viewers out there. When I first started working there... Um, they would have me actually go out and do interviews. And um, as Brian knows, because we went to school together, we, there was no journalism-type classes um, in, um, in our film school. So you'd have to go out there and do these interviews. Well, I had to go out and do an interview with um, Leonard Nimoy. I volunteered to do it, but it was incredibly nerve-wracking because you had to write up the questions. And um, I really didn't know what I was doing. It was, I wish I could do it again now because I know a lot more what I'm doing. So he's, he was doing this um, tour where, you know, where he was talking about his pictures and things of that nature. For those of you out there who know about it, I won't go too much into it. But um, so afterward, he came back there and I had five questions and they were kind of silly, ridiculous when I think back on them. And like one of them was like, how did he feel about, you know, being part of um, uh a show that was going to live on forever. And, you know, he kind of gave me the, the return answer like, well, I don't know if it'll live on forever or that kind of thing. And it was, it was incredibly nerve wracking, but I'm, it's one of my favorite experiences that I've had in this job. Um, and I think my last question was, I think, cause the Chicago bears were going to the Super Bowl at the time. And he, he did say he hopes the bear, bears would win. So <laughs> it was, a, it was a fun time. I mean, um, like I said, I wish I could do it now. I'd be a lot better at it. Yeah. I remember the first, you know, I've I've seen these most of these guys so many times now over the over the years, but I grew up, you know, like like Steve, you know, where Steve, uh, we we both grew up in a in a small town in Missouri, so we didn't go to these these kind of things. I mean, I certainly didn't until I was much older, um, conventions and things, and I didn't see these this talent until I was like in college, uh, in Texas, and um, you know, I, you guys, our listeners, have heard me talk about my favorite. Star Trek film, Star Trek Three. Well, that's just one of my favorite films ever. In fact, the scene in Star Trek Three where they steal the Enterprise—it's, you know, it's one of the reasons I went to film school. The way it made me love film, um, the way it made me care about characters in movies. I mean, it was a very profound experience. Is the point? Um, Star Trek Three very important to me, and that scene in particular where they steal the Enterprise very, very important to me. And you know, I give Nimoy a lot of credit. Because obviously he directed the movie and among other things. 
Um, and so I remember clearly the first time I ever was going to see Nimoy was he came to like one of these, because what we used to have in Texas, they weren't the big conventions. Like the first thing I ever went to, it was just something where they'd have like one big talent, like just Nimoy would come, you know, and that would be it. Uh, um, and I remember going to one of those and I was so excited and I, and this was before DVD and, and I had to order a, uh, the laser disc of Star Trek three, cause I wanted to have him sign that. Right. And I was so excited and I had planned out this whole paragraph speech to tell him about how in, influential he'd been in my life and how he's part of the reason I was in film school and, and all that. I mean, I, and I'd rehearsed it, you know, but as it, like I said, I hadn't seen much talent before. I mean, now I live in LA, it's pretty common, but anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting in this line. I have my laser disc and I'm, I'm all ready and I'm, and I'm rehearsing the words and, and, and I get up there and then he looks at me and I'm holding the laser disc with two hands and I couldn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> I said nothing. I couldn't say a word. I just had a big dumb smile on my mouth and I couldn't speak and, and uh, he signed it and that was it. But uh, You got ushered along. Yeah, I got ushered along, but I was, I was, I was... I was pretty starstruck. Hmm. What was the first show you went to, Steve? First convention? Yeah. Um, I believe it was in uh, the Pasadena, when that used to be a big thing. The Grand, Grand Slam, Slam, right? Yeah. In the 90s. Grand. And uh, I think, let me think, um, it would have probably been 90, 95 or 96. Um, and uh, It was 95. Okay. Because you you sent me a postcard when I was in uh, military training. Oh, okay. Awesome. All right. Well, yeah, I went. Uh, it was like we took like a, kind of a fam- family vacation out of it, you know. And that was the first Trek convention I've been to. And of course, this was the height of Star Trek popularity for the shows and everything else, you know. Voyager had just begun, you know, all this stuff. So, um, yeah, it, it was quite something. It was huge. It was huge. Yeah, that was as big as those shows ever got. Yeah, I don't know if you guys heard. They're actually. For the first time in many years, they're doing a, a show that they're calling Grand Slam again hmm. um, next year. Um, it's not going to be anywhere near that size, but yeah. they haven't even done one in years, so that's kind of that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. It's going to be in Pasadena again. Uh, I think it's going to be in Burbank, so I mean it's pretty close. I know they used to be at the. Uh, I went to the very last Grand Slam that was at the Pasadena Convention Center, and that was the only one I ever went to, and that was right after I moved to L.A., so quite a while back. Um, and then they moved it to a hotel across from the Burbank Airport for a few years, uh, and then they just stopped doing it. And um, by the time they were near the end of it, I mean, it wasn't even very much Star Trek. It was lots of other shows and things. Um, but... You know how many uh, how many shows do they do out in LA? I mean, like, I mean, is it like a common thing, or is it like a couple times a yeah. year? You know, there's a lot because it's not just you know Star Trek. Like, well, it's not just uh, creation. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of there's several different groups uh, that do shows all the time. There's one uh, comic convention that's a monthly thing, and oh, wow. at, at Shriners, that's very popular. Um, so there's there's always a lot going on, and then of course we have Comic Con in San Diego every summer. Which is just a couple hours south. Yeah, I remember, remember back in Dallas. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, Dallas is a pretty good place for shows. They usually have at least two a year. I know they're still keeping that up. Um, yeah, I liked those shows. You know, I've, I've talked about it before. The creation stuff, they just feel like they're. They're so, not there. 
they're just so for profit, you know. And it, I don't like the, I don't like the way I feel at a creation show. I don't like, I don't feel like I'm being. I mean, I, I don't like feeling like I'm being taken advantage of, and I always feel that way at creation shows. But all the other stuff, obviously, something like Comic Con's nonprofit, that's totally cool. But even the stuff you're talking about, like that, those other companies that did the the, the small-ish shows in near Dallas in Plano, I mean, that stuff, I never felt like. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, was the three of us? We went to that um, creation show here in Chicago, and um, okay. I, I never, I never liked them here in Chicago. They were in a small hotel. It was kind of lame. <clears throat> yeah, that was the uh, 40th anniversary, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you guys. Uh, you guys had mentioned it right before we started. Uh, did you see The Hobbit? I did. I saw it twice. Twice. You liked it that much? <clears throat> well, um. Well, the reason I saw it twice is because I saw it on a regular screen. I guess I saw the what, the 40 frames per second. 48. 48. Wow. And it, um, to be honest, I didn't really care for it. It kind of looked like a video game. It looked kind of fake. And I wasn't quite sure because I hadn't done any reading on it. So I wasn't quite sure if it was a projection thing at the theater because I saw it in Austin, Texas. So when I got back to Chicago, I went um, to an IMAX theater here that I'm pretty familiar with. And it, it looked just like I remember they should look. So... So you saw it at 24 after you saw it at 48. Yeah, I guess the, the yeah, I wasn't familiar. With, I'd heard a little bit about these frames things, but like I said, I kind of stay away from reviews and articles until I see the movie. Um, but um, they have this IMAX. I mean, it was 3D. It was awesome. I mean, it looked exactly like, you know, the, the Lord of the Rings films. There was no difference in, you know, I guess the best way I could describe it is like with the between the two is like um, the first time I saw it in a regular theater, it lacked texture i mean it still looked good it just lacked any kind of texture and it really kind of looked artificial most of the time especially the action scenes it kind of reminded me of watching like a video game preview or something um but yeah they're they're marketing speak for this 48 frames a second they're calling it hfr high frame rate um steve what did you think of it yeah, I saw it. I saw it in an IMAX theater, but in in the forty eight frames, the high frame rate. Um, yeah, I, I I didn't care for that at all, and I, I totally agree. It, it felt like a video game. Um, it felt like it made even though it was in three D, it made it look flat. It made everyone look glossy and so on. The only to me, the only scenes that worked okay with that were like far away vista shots of things that were normal. And I think I think the fact that so much of the movie, of course, is CGI, makes it even worse when you have that and that like that it makes even more feel like a video game and i think that it doesn't help that we, we i think we subconsciously associate higher frame rate with older television and video and stuff i think all that makes it cheapened and flat and so on now that's my opinion you you want like a, a movie review too or are we just talking about the frame rate thing <laughs> well, so well, the movie was great the story i found was that was awesome acting and everything. i, I liked like it I, fine i thought it was long i, I knew yeah. it'd be that way because you have the one book divided into three i mean if they're going to do that maybe make it two hour movies but you know like the first yeah, half that, i felt was a little slow that was my that's my complaint about the movie is that it's just too darn that movie had no business being three hours. They spend literally an hour at the dinner scene for God's sake, you know. That's uh, that's yeah. almost an hour. I mean, that's that's nutty. That that movie should not have been three hours. Well, yeah. I think for the um the hardcore Hobbit fans and uh, fans of the book, they wanted that they that because they you know that was the complaints from the first um, movies that there wasn't that detail and everything like that. Well, and I know. That's great. Put all that stuff in an extended edition, optional. Oh, I'm, great. Sure, I'm sure. I'm sure there will be an extended edition. But I also think they added. Uh, he's adding um, stories from the Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings prologues mm-hmm. about the Hobbit. 
Yeah, the indices. Yeah, he's adding those into the story too. Um, I, I didn't have a problem with the pacing or or how long it was or anything like that. I, I thought it was great. Just, Once it got going, you know, I I enjoyed it. I, I well, still felt like there was plenty of stuff that didn't need. To, I don't know. That didn't really serve any purpose other than to be flashy. Like the the uh, slight spoiler if you guys haven't seen the movie. Like the uh, the stone monster guys fighting the the mountain fight thing. Mm-hmm. That what that was ten minutes that could have been cut out of the movie. And what purpose did it serve? You know, there were just so many things like that. I'm like that did not need to be there. Anyway, but the, well, the I, think 48... I think the hardcore fans would disagree with you. <laughs> well, uh, but but what is your movie about? You know. That's well, the I mean, this was, well, well, the movie was, I, I knew going in, it was all going to be a setup anyway. So, I mean, you know, if I think if you went in there expecting to, you know, to see smog flying around and destroying cities, you, you're going to be fairly, dis- you were going to be disappointed. I didn't, but here's the thing. If, if, if your movie is three hours long mm-hmm. and you have scenes that don't need to be there, then I feel like it's just filler. I think that it could have actually made a much better movie. With exactly what they had, just cutting out a good forty-five minutes of it, easy. Yeah, I disagree. Then it would have been just a really short, quick movie. And then what's the point of doing three? Two just hours? Sh- two two hours is not a really short, quick movie. That's a normal. Well, for Lord of the Rings, it's a short movie. For huh? well, for for Tolkien. Anyway, I'll disagree. We we agreed to disagree. I thought it was great. I didn't have any problems with the you know the rock scenes or anything <laughs> like that. It's I thought it was as, great. So as far as the the high frame rate stuff, I'm I pretty much agree with both you guys. I. I I wish I didn't, um, but I totally do because it felt, yeah, it, the CG felt kind of fake. The makeup looked fake because, at the high frame rate. It, other than the fact that it took me a couple hours just to kind of get used to it, but at least I sort of did within a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. It's still, I, I, you know, it always felt, it always felt like I was watching some, I don't know, crappy TV oh. effect or something, and I never. You know, I, it, what bugs me though is I feel like I'm being an old fuddy-duddy, like I'm the old guy that can't appreciate anything. Like, but no, I mean, I think we, I think you, if you read a lot, bunch of stuff, that's a, everybody has the same complaint. It's not, um, it's not just um, us old fuddy-duddies. Um, it did, it did have the effect of any time there was like a pan or a, or a big sweeping shot. That stuff was really smooth in a way that I wasn't used to seeing. But yeah, it's yeah, a little. I mean, I would highly, highly recommend seeing it in the 24 frame rate. Um, you know, within the first couple minutes of the movie, you you realize that you, it was almost like a warm calm came over me, like, oh, this is what it, you know. It was like, oh, okay, the, here we go. This is what I'm used to seeing, mm-hmm. and um, and I don't think it's just because we're all used to seeing it. I just think it looks better. I mean, literally, that's what I can. You have texture in the film. At 24, there was much more texture and grit, and mm-hmm. to me, that's what real life is. It's not a smooth, glossy video game. Look. Yeah, I, th- I think what's interesting is that we can't really know for sure. You know, we're just too accustomed to 24 frames a second. I, I don't, I don't know that we can really know, and there's no way to know that. I mean, if all of a sudden they decide, okay, from now on, only 48 frames, that's what's happening. Then some kid goes in there, and that's the only films he ever sees of that. That'd be the only way to know this for sure. But yeah, I, I'm everything. I think we're all on the same page with how we how we think it makes us feel watching it. It, it, it lacks so much. It's just it it feels shallow, you know. And I think maybe that probably could have been part of your problem with the movie length. It's like because it takes you out of the movie. It took me out of the first movie. The first time I saw it, it takes you out. It you were because you spend some. I spent at least I spent most of my time going. Is this the well, way it's really supposed to look? Or it, it, you know, it certainly it certainly doesn't help things. <laughs> that's yeah. that's for sure. But. Well, I'll I'll definitely buy it on Blu-ray 3D, and I know that's only going to be 24 frames a second. So <laughs> yeah. I will definitely yeah. watch it again. 
in that way. Um, let's go on to another section. Well, I think real quick, so we were talking about is Trek, are they doing anything frame-wise with the new Trek movie, or is it just normal? No. It's just going to be 24. Okay. But uh, it will be 3D. We're going we're gonna to talk a lot about Into Darkness at the end of the podcast today. Um, oh, yeah. Hey, real quick, just um, why did Peter Jackson decide to do that? Is just to experiment or? Well, his he said um, he believes yes that younger people young people are used to higher frame rates from things like video games, and also he said, and I thought this was a valid point. Well, we can either try something new, or we can just think that in 1927 we peaked technologically. <laughs> And then, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to argue with that, but hey. Yeah, I, would, I, don't, I don't know if I would have started with it with this movie. Maybe just like a, a cheesy B movie would have been a better way to start this, to work the kinks out, because this is pretty much what the first movie that's been released like this. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, I wouldn't have, probably wouldn't have experimented with this movie in particular, but that's just me. Okay, moving on. <laughs> We did have a, a listener request that we talk about uh, uh, some of the books, and definitely the listener was requesting the fiction books uh, discussion. Um, and I think Steve is kind of our, he's definitely read more of the books than any of us. Um, and I've read a fair amount um, of the nonfiction books. I wanted to talk a little bit about that. But Steve, can you give us kind of an overview of the books and your favorites and the different lines and things like that? <clears throat> Well, it, it's been some time. I I started. I probably was reading the books from around the mid '90s into I don't know, maybe not a full, maybe close to ten years, about eight to ten years, and I was hardcore with it. I'd buy all the new ones. I'd try to keep up with it. I'd buy older ones. And what we're talking about here are like pocket books. You know, their uh, their various novels and such. Um, what got me into it was I think somewhere around the mid nineties they were doing this series of crossover novels, you know, where they would well I don't I believe that the notion was it wasn't really crossover, but there was one theme, uh, some kind of common story theme and each series um at the wasn't, time wasn't Invasion the first one? Yes, that's 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 the first ones I, I bought and, and read. And because uh, because I just thought that was a cool idea, you know, something that because it was something that you absolutely can't do in real life with the T on the T V shows and stuff, but you can do it a story and that's a story that arcs over that whole time span, the original series, all the way to Voyager and stuff. And I enjoyed it because, uh, you know, I'm just really into the, the canon and the background and tying everything together. And, and that got me going. And I read, and there's, you know, there's, there's good and bad. I would say um, my favorite and probably many people's favorite was Mzadi. Uh, it's very common. I also thought the sequel to that novel was very good. Um, I Peter, Peter David. Peter yeah. J- yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, a, Pretty much a lot of the stuff he read. I also enjoyed the um, New Frontier series that he that he created. That that that's really good. Can and, you explain uh, for people that aren't familiar what that was? That yeah, was it's really- it's basically um, he created a. Um, essentially like creating a TV series. He created a book series, all new characters. There were some tie-in secondary characters and such, but he created a, a, you know, a whole new series with new characters all taking place in roughly the time that we were currently in in the TV series and the DS on Voyager era and such like that. And uh, he was very... Hmm? You still doing those? No, I don't know. I don't keep up with it anymore. Mm-hmm. But um, it went on for quite some time and there were... 
know, do- dozens, I mean, probably of that series that I'm even aware of. So it probably kept on for a while after that. And, and of course, uh, there was a certain amount of freedom, you know, we had without having to tie it into certain characters and, and their fates. And, this, and so that made it interesting and, un- and unpredictable as well. Um, but but yeah, it's a very rich universe, and I know there's like a uh, there has been at least one kind of compendium that summarizes the novels, ties things together, and discusses those things. Um, so it's a lot of fun, and, and you know, I I, I I say I'm not into it anymore, and, and and that's not to knock it or anything. I basically just chose to spend my time in other ways. You don't. Yeah, I remember <laughs> you were spending so much time; it was crazy. Yeah, it's it's my it's kind of my nature. If I get into something, I get into it, you know. And I, at some point, I have to just decide I need to stop or I need to draw the line somewhere. And that's what I had to do with the books. I enjoyed them, but I, I wanted to see into other things with my free time, you know. So I think I I think and, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think pocket books kind of kind of started thinking that they that they were having that effect on on a lot of people because they were releasing so many books. That eventually they they really scaled back so that they were only releasing, you know, one or two books a month, and it used to be way more than that. Yeah, you know? I remember even during the time I was reading them, that it, um, um, I don't know, probably somewhere in the order of three to four a month, they would release down to one or one or two. And I'm not mm-hmm. sure what their schedule is now, but yeah, that's. Well, you mentioned. Um, the compendium that talks about that novel. I wanted. I want. I believe that one was called Voyages of the Imagination or Voyages of Imagination, something to that effect. And that is a fantastic, fantastic book. You know, so it's. I don't know how you count it if it's nonfiction or fiction, but basically, this a very. It's a very thick <laughs> reference book, and uh, the author. I forget his name, but. It, he went through and every stinking Star Trek book up to that point, and this book just came out a few years ago at most uh every single star trek book up to that point he had like a little paragraph synopsis of it um he f- had a bunch of uh little interviews with different authors um it's really great and i and i used it and obviously the books are not canon right um uh i guess a couple maybe a couple of jerry taylor exceptions but pretty much none of the books are canon um but i i remember going through it and 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 just reading like different synopses and thinking, oh, that actually sounds really cool. I want to read that book, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I did go through and and there were a couple here and there. Like I remember, I read uh, a couple of the early Voyager books. Um, I think it was called Escape or The Escape, something to that effect. But it was it was such a cool idea. Like it had, um, so it was one of the very early numbered Voyager books. And and the idea was that this these people on this one planet had time travel vehicles and they would, they would go between, uh, they would live in different eras of the planet and they would actually travel between those different eras. It was, it was really neat. It was a really neat idea. Um, but I, I like the stuff any, anytime they like, uh, the, the DS nine relaunch stuff. That was really cool. I did, I haven't read much of it, but I, I did buy, I, I always liked it whenever they would put, a, uh, like the, Omnibus or whatever they call that. Whenever they would put a whole bunch of books in one big book, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I bought every one of those they ever put out, and they they did the first four DS9 relaunch novels in a in a in a book like that, and then even Voyager, I, I there was a two part. Gosh, I think it was called Homecoming. You remember this? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there was so, a, yeah, yeah, because 
I, you know, I, I liked Voyager a lot, but I was so disappointed in the series finale, the very final episode, because, you know, they get, spoiler alert, they get back to Earth and then the credits roll. You know, there's no, there's no um, uh, conclusion with the characters in any way. And that was incredibly heart-wrenching after seven years to not get to say goodbye to these characters. I was very, very disappointed about that. But they kind of did it in the novels. And, that, and I did read those novels. Um, I, even the novels that I was kind of disappointed because they, they made it be like this big, well, it had something to do with the, like a pseudo Borg thing or something. I forget, but I, I didn't, I really just wanted to have like family time. I wanted to have this, the family scene, you know, with, with Tuvok getting home, for example, stuff like that. But mm-hmm. there wasn't, there was enough of that, that I, that I was, that I was happy that I'd read it. Um, but mostly, um, so I've only read a handful of the the novels. Mostly, I've I've enjoyed the uh, nonfiction stuff over the years. Um, <clears throat> I know I, I have I have everybody's autobiographies. Steve, you've I haven't read them all, but I know you've read most of them, haven't you? I believe so. I think I've read. I think I believe I've read all of the autobiographies that are out. Yeah, <clears throat> it's been I, some I time. Know, of the ones that I've read, you know, Shatner had a couple. He had one where he did. Uh, his memories of the TV series, and then he had another one where he did his memories of the the movies, um, and then and then of course Nimoy had I am not Spock and I am Spock. Um, I am Spock is probably my favorite of the, of the autobiographies uh, autobiographies that I've read. Do you remember particularly liking one over another? I'm trying to recall. It's not an autobiography, but one I thought was kind of interesting or t- different take on it was uh, DeForest Kelly. Someone wrote a biography on him, um, and uh, it didn't have a whole lot of Star Trek in it. It had some, but what was so interesting was the way they, the way they really kind of brought you into his life, he and his wife's lives um, over over time and the classic Hollywood era. So you really felt part of that world. It really kind of. Uh, gave insight into how how a, a movie star or whatever might live day to day in that time in Hollywood. I, I enjoyed that part of it. Yeah, that one was called uh, From Sawdust to Stardust and it, yeah, yeah. it was published, you know, after D. Kelly died. But I I wanna I, I think his 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 wife helped out or contributed to it in some way. That sounds right. That sounds right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um <clears throat> I do remember, and, and I haven't read it in so many years, so maybe it's not as good as I remember, but uh, the Bob Justman and Herb Solo inside Star Trek. Now, those are the, the guys that, that really produced the original series. Oh, yes. Okay. I, I recall that vaguely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a nice big hardcover book, and I really remember uh, enjoying that. Um and then, of course, hey, we, our podcast is called Trek Companion. <laughs> so I've, I've liked all the companion books they've written to, to follow along with the series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I did kind of, I have kind of collected, the one thing I've collected has been novelizations. So obviously I have the novelizations for all the movies, uh, most of which are paperback, but a few of the movies they did in hardcover or they sometimes did both. And then I would have, I have both soft and hard. Um and then they've also novelized, uh, done, did novelizations for a few of the TV episodes. I don't mm-hmm. all of several of those. I always thought that was kind of fun too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just a little, little books discussion. 
All right. Um, uh, back in September, um, Steve and I participated in Trekmates Potathon for charity. Um, so we're going to drop that in. We got permission from the Trekmate guys. Um, you can check them. You can find them at uh, trekmate.org.uk. Um, but uh, back in September, uh, we participated in that and we talked about future Trek, a little bit about a future Star Trek TV series, and then just a little bit about J.J. Abrams' new movie, which at that time they had just announced the title. Um, so we didn't really you know, know much at that time. Um, so we're going to drop that in right now. It's about 24 minutes long. So if you listen to it back in September, feel free to skip ahead. But um, it's a pretty interesting discussion. Um, so we're going to put that in now and we'll be back in about 24 minutes. Hello, Hi, Brian. Hi. Hi, how are you? I am good. Uh, Steve was uh, just introducing uh, your pod to everybody. So, uh, so are you guys uh, obviously huge track fans? You're doing the podcast about it. Uh, how long? Uh, where did you first start with Star Trek? Then, you know, I, I watched I watched Next Gen like right when it started. Like I, I have a clear memories of watching the, the pilot, which I you know I would have only been like 11 years old. Um, but it wasn't until uh, a few years later in my my uh, late teens when uh, I was watching the original series, like, just every weeknight at, like, 10 or 11, I think it was, like, 11 o'clock at night, you know, five days a week, that I really fell in love with the characters and the series and the show, which is funny because I think that's the same way that it happened for most of culture, like, in the 70s, but I was going through it in the, you know, the 90s. Yeah. Uh, uh, and yourself, Steve? Yeah, for me, it basically started with Next Gen as well. I, um... Growing up, when I was quite young, I know my my father watched original series episodes in syndication when it was all kind of coming back in that way, and this was in the 70s and into the early 80s. And I saw maybe a couple of the movies also when they first came out in the early 80s, but wasn't really into it so much. But then I decided to uh, come on board at the beginning of Next Generation and... uh, uh, you know, then I got really into it hardcore, and uh, within a couple years, I'd gone back and you know, uh, watched all the original series, either on TV or through video, and so forth. And and from then on, I I was just uh, uh, into all the new incarnations as they came out, all the new movies, and so on. Excellent. So uh, we've been discussing the like future of the franchise and the 2013 movie. Obviously, it, they've just released the title for the movie. Uh, did you? Yeah, that's kind of weird. It's like, I, 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 you know, I'm nuts for Star Trek, but uh, like uh, Kirk said in Star Trek VI, people can be very afraid of change. You know, so it's like even just something as simple as the way they designed the title. So Star Trek in the darkness. Now, now Trek is like a verb. You know, it's not like a <laughs> noun anymore. Uh, you know, it's it's so different that. The first couple of days, I was just kind of getting used to it, and I'm still not in love with it, but maybe it's not as odd as it was. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. Like, yeah. even just the way you say it, it's like the inflection has to be different now. Star Trek into darkness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, th- I thought it was odd. I'm not opposed to it, but it's, it's certainly different. Yeah. And uh, that's the thing. I don't think it's anything that we've 
away from what we've come to expect from JJ, though. Mm-hmm. Because uh, do, do you guys have any sort of uh, impressions that you're getting? Because uh, I don't know. Uh, we were uh, discussing the uh, comic book series that's meant to be like a precursor of things to come. Well, you know, I love that... Uh that kind of prequel, what do they call it, Countdown, the prequel comic books that they did for the last Abrams film. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, what you're, I, I guess you're referring to is, uh, you know, more like the uh, Star Trek ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wonder if, like, the delay in the movie has kind of affected some of those storylines and things. And um, it's, all, it's all interesting once you get, once you get uh, the actual writers involved. Um, so... I don't know. You know, my, my main feelings about that first movie, and Steve and I have had a lot of conversations about this. I remember, I remember seeing Abrams' movie and just, you know, basically when they, when they blew up, uh, when they blew up Vulcan, I just assumed the whole movie, well, I mean, it's gonna, they're gonna fix the timeline, they'll come back at me. It never occurred to me that they were gonna be, you know, that they were, they were really going down the path and staying there of this prime timeline thing. And, uh, I remember seeing Ron Moore a couple weeks before the movie came out. I saw Ron Moore at like this Q&A. This was just after Battlestar Galactica had completed. And uh, somebody asked him if he'd seen the new Abrams movie and if he liked it. And he said, I liked it. It's a good movie, but it's going to divide fandom. And I thought, what could he possibly be talking about? I have no idea. What could divide fandom? It's good or it's bad, whatever. It just never occurred to me. you know. And, and I never realized until this credit started rolling in Abrams' film and I, I wanted to cry, even though I thought it was a good movie, entertaining movie. It was just, I never realized the real difference between a trekker and a trekkie. And I am a trekker. I am a person that goes on a journey that wants to be in this universe and wants to know what's going on in the universe. Even if uh, maybe I didn't care for the series Enterprise, it didn't matter. I had to watch it because I'm a trekker. I go on a journey. And all of a sudden, this movie said, my journey didn't, ha- my journey never happened. You know? Yes. And it destroyed your universe. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they try to explain it. Well, it's a secondary thing. Both things happen. This is another universe. Well, maybe that's true, but it's, I, I wonder now if we're ever going to get the prime universe again in film or television. You know? Yeah, that was, that, that was something we were, we were discussing and we were thinking, well, you know, the rumors are, or, or people have speculated that at the end of the third movie that they could possibly, uh, right. just fix everything so Romulus huh. isn't destroyed. So, uh, the, the Nevada doesn't go back through time and they can, you know, conveniently just sew it all back up ready for a new TV series. And, and that's I, a possibility. I have a, I have a hard time thinking that they would do that only because, you, you know, this, this has enabled them to do anything with this story, basically. It's, it's brought the drama back. You know, the, the, the drama is gone when you watch, uh, I don't know. There's no peril in Star Wars Episode One that Anakin's gonna, gonna, his little ship's gonna crash. You know, that, because we know, forty years later, he's he's Darth Vader. So you know, the, I understand that they've 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 brought a sense of of, of drama uh, in in saying anything can happen now because we don't really know what's going to happen to these characters. Um, and and I think that that sense of freedom is uh, a necessity for them. Mm-hmm. And if nothing else, the, the incredible financial success of Abrams' universe implies to me that you know they're not going to let it go anytime soon. So do, so do you think that, that if there is a new TV series, do you think it will carry on from the JJ-verse? Or that, that was something we were discussing. Will it, will it be a rebooted TOS following straight on from the JJ-verse movies? Or will it be, um, let's say, a next-gen reboot but in the JJ-verse? Or, or something in the Prime Universe? 
what do you think about that? Uh, my my feeling is it would be more likely to be in J.J. Abrams' universe than the Prime universe, even though I would certainly prefer it being, you know, that'd be great, Prime universe farther forward. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think, um, I think it's also possible that it would be something entirely different. I mean, it would be in the universe, but separate enough that they don't even really draw the distinction. Yeah, mm. yeah. That's what people were talking about in the chat room, that if it was set far enough ahead, like the 26th or 27th century, then the differences between the two universe, right. the two universes would be so small that you really wouldn't need to know which one it, it was in. You would only mm. ever find out if there was or wasn't a Vulcan in that universe, which universe you were actually in. <laughs> yeah. Ah. yeah. If they say, yeah, we're, we're going to Vulcan, ah, okay, so we know which one we're in. If someone, <laughs> if, 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 if someone happens to mention, oh, well, we can't, you know, when Vulcan was destroyed, then we know we're in the, in the JJ rooms. You know, I'll tell you, um, the, the one thing I'd be, I'd be, I, I might be concerned which direction to go, whether they take Abrams' timeline or the Prime or whatever, but the one thing I'm, I'm excited about for a potential new Star Trek series is, right now, like on our show, we're, we're in the very last, that you know, that ten, big 10 episode arc they finished DS9 with, yes. and it's this awesome serialized thing where it's just every episode goes right into the next and uh like i'm watching them with my wife for the first time and she's like the show but these last 10 episodes she is she like let's watch the next one let's watch the next one you know because this is what modern television is now this you know end of ds9 is over a decade ago but modern tv or even what the next next couple couple shows later what ron moore did with battlestar but all the good like current shows that's that's what's popular today and um you know uh, i don't know breaking bad for example, I love that show. Yeah. All anything today nowadays super serialized, and I'd be very excited to see uh, Star Trek go in that direction. I want an entire series that's like those last ten episodes of DS9. You know? But, yeah, I, 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 no, I'd agree with you there. Yeah. And personally, I think Enterprise really Enterprise was going that way. Yeah, they they did kind of the stopgap version. If you go like, let's say the extreme other way was, you know, Gene Roddenberry's proclamation on the original Star Trek series: every episode is a bottle show. I want no serialization of any sort. Uh, you compare that with modern, you know, like like uh, you know, Walking Dead, Breaking Bad, or whatever. Uh, those shows just completely going one into the other. I think Enterprise kind of tried to uh, split the difference, like especially that third season with the Zindi arc. They they were they had like standalone stories, but the the uh, seasonal arc of the Zindi's attack. Um, it, it was it, every every episode kind of still drove it, but it wasn't like like the extreme like modern stuff where I couldn't tell you, I can't really separate the episodes of, mm-hmm. of a lot of modern shows. I mean, it really is just one long show now, and I like I, I really enjoy that, especially especially with the way the. the it, I think one of the reasons that's changed, of course, is because consumers have changed the way we, we consume the content. You know, when the original, even when Next Gen and DS9 and Voyager were showing, it was like, I'm watching one a week. There's not really anything else. But now I binge on that stuff on Netflix and, I, and on Netflix streaming or Hulu, whatever other shows. And I know a lot of people do that. You guys have a couple of other services in the UK, too. A lot of people consume yeah. it that way, and it's so much fun to do that. Well, that's, yeah. it, that's why it, it's almost got like its own... Uh pronoun it, it, it's all i just call it box setting whenever i get a new tv series most of the time i won't watch it on tv i'll just mm-hmm. go and buy the box set and yeah. probably blast through that in a couple of weeks 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was the great thing when they finally started putting uh, Star Trek on DVD. Because even before that, if if you wanted it on video, if you really wanted to own it at home, you know, uh, there were the original series on VHS, but those were like what was it, one or two tapes a month, maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't even think it was Mm -hmm. that. You had to mail them away. They finally started putting them on Laserdisc, and they never even finished those series. Um, You know, but it was buying a season on in a DVD box set was such a kind of a revolution, and that was I I binged them that way, you know, and DS9 and in that sense, DS9 was more enjoyable for me. I think that's when I really love DS9 because it did have more of a series arc than any of the other shows up to that point, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, and so if they was going to progress in the original universe uh, with a TV series, where would you like to see it personally go? I know my answer is. What do you say, Steve? Yeah, it would. It would just need to be farther forward. It would need to be farther forward in the future. Um, that while there might be references to the things we've seen, it wouldn't rely on that, and it would be. And you'd have to and just transform the look of everything. You know, there's there'd be things that we recognize. The look would be Star Trek, but. It would it would be you know I don't know another hundred years or something you know where yeah, just it's just separate new. from everything we've done so it draws a line. Because would you say like obviously towards the end of the nineties, Star Trek was pretty much everywhere, and mm-hmm. you, you could almost turn around and say with the amount of shows going, it was almost oversaturated. Yeah. At some point, uh, so. Probably if they had of, because with TNG, where they did jump so far ahead, it almost gave them a blank slate. Mm-hmm. So, it, and as you said, I think it'd be interesting to see remnants. Because before you jumped on, what, what we're saying is, I'd love to see a series where the Federation was in a much worse state than when we mm-hmm. last left it. You know what? As a, as a trekker, I, I watch any trek, and I and I love watching it. Even the shows that I think maybe aren't as good. Enterprise, I didn't think was as good. And I tell you what, I think the fundamental problem of Enterprise was, you know, original series, sixties, uh, and then th- there's next gen DS9 Voyager. Yeah, it, 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 that that universe and stuff was kind of created by Roddenberry. Still, you know, he kicked off next gen, but he didn't really, you know, he didn't run those shows. Um, and Next Gen, DS9, and Voyager, they have this sense of time and place together. They're made by a lot of the same people. They have the same look and feel. And they take place around the same time. They are that that time period that's, whatever, you know, 80-ish years after the original series. And then those people did Enterprise. And it's, and it's like, well, here's a show that takes place before even the first one, but it still has the look and feel of Next Gen, DS9, and Voyager to me. And so it, it never worked in that way. You know, it was like, it, mm-hmm. it was like mm-hmm. a round peg in a square hole. So, one, I would like to see them go forward again in time. Um, you know, when Enterprise happened, my other complaint was, I feel like, uh, you know, Star Trek is about going forward. You know, even, even from the very beginning with Roddenberry, the time period he selected compared to the 60s in which, which it was produced, there is a sense of this is where we're going. You know, and so when you scooted... Um, Enterprise's time period back, it just it never had the right sense. So I, I definitely would like to see something uh, go forward, but then I really agree with you guys that it, if they if they scoot far enough forward, they can give themselves that kind of empty slate. Um, we saw like peaks, like you know, next or Enterprise had those. Didn't Enterprise have the 
the uh, future Federation right. guy. Uh-huh. Yes. So like yeah. we saw a peak Daniels. of was it the, yeah Daniels right and we saw like the twenty was it nah it wasn't 29th century maybe we saw something 30, like an enterprise thirty first I think wasn't it okay yeah so we. Uh, farther, so we saw little peaks and stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't. I wouldn't want them to extrapolate from any of that stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it might be interesting, and I, and I don't think this necessarily would be a, what they would do, but it is an option to this whole timeline issue and what you got in the latest movie versus what we've done. Uh, you know, a lot of you know comic books do these kind of multiverse notions. I mean, there is an option of simply not defining it you know i mean if you have if you just acknowledge that you know multi dimensions exist and uh you you ha- just have multiple timelines to deal with depending on the context of the show and what the kind of the objective is and what the group is trying to do there you could you could say that you have a a, a fragmented timelines and so on i mean it, it's not out of the question there's plenty of sci-fi that addresses that kind of thing you know a parallel dimensions and such like that so yeah, and, and the reason I certainly, uh, I think that's something Larry uh, Nemechek always talks about, is, is this idea that um, Star Trek movies are great, but Star Trek is television. It's a television show, and and uh, I, I agree with that. You know, and and the reason is, you know, if these these episodes, you have the chance to deal with these subjects. That's that's one of the reasons we started our podcast. And every episode, that's what we do. We ask what we think it's what is this really about? What is it really trying to get to? And it's hard to do that sort of thing in a, in a film. You know, the Star Trek, maybe Star Trek 2 is maybe one of the more successful films trying to deal with some weightier issues. But still, at the end of the day, you go to a movie and you want to, you got a couple hours, they want the big and the explosions, and, and that's cool. Um, and that's it. But that's what I want out of, out of uh, the television shows. And if anything, talking about the movies, that's kind of my one concern of the next Abrams movie, you know, because his last one, it was very exciting, but it, it, it seems like it had, it didn't, it, it wasn't about very much. So, even for a movie, I felt like it could have been about more. But as far as the next television series, um, you know, I, I, it's important that they remember that's what Star Trek's all about, you know, and that has to be first and foremost. And if they're not doing that, then it's then it's not going to be Star Trek to me. You know, yeah. they're not using that opportunity to to uh, ask these questions, you know, because we find on on our show. It, as a rule, if we don't have a good answer for what we think the show is really about or really trying to say, uh, then it's not one of the better shows. It's not one of the shows that holds up. And I think the reason that, uh, you know, the original series, we, we still talk about it almost half a century later, um, is because more than any other show, uh, they ask these important questions. It is. And, uh, I think you've hit the nail on the head regardless of where they go time-wise in the series, as long as they are keeping the spirit of the show. Because, Mm -hmm. to be honest, for me personally, um, Star Trek is more than just Gene's vision. But Gene's vision is the backbone for the template of the universe. Mm -hmm. So, uh, as long as they are sticking to like how that sort of philosophy it runs through the heart of the federation and encompasses how situations are addressed within the show i think it can only be a success well, that's what guys anyway yeah but that that uh that backbone is so so important um and i think i even uh take for granted a lot of us take for granted 
the incredible job. Like, how hard would it have been? He did it the first time. And then he does it again in 87 with Next Gen. He sets it, he does the setup so well, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that is, it's crazy we take it for granted. But it was, uh, it was set up so well that it, it withheld Next Gen DS9 Voyager easily. Because um, they're, they're all still basically riding on, on Next Gen's coattails as far as the design and, and, and basic structure. Um, so I think that that's a testament to um, how important it is to uh, how fundamental it is to what Star Trek is that you, you, you make episodes that are about something. You ask important questions that withstand the test of time. You know, the questions that they asked on episodes in the original series still valid today. Completely. I think so. So, uh, with regards to the JJ films, obviously JJ is only going to stick around for another film after 2013 because yeah. he's not the type of guy that would hang about with a franchise for too long. Uh, I, he'll probably. I'd be surprised if he didn't at least stick around in a, like a producer capacity. I, I don't expect him to direct. I'd be surprised if he, if he even directs the next one. I think that would be it. Um, that's just too much time. But we've seen he certainly is great at uh, multitasking, producing television shows. That's for sure. Um, oh, definitely. That's the thing. He's spinning so many plates. Yeah. That it, it, I don't think, for a television show at least, he would ever be able to dedicate enough time to track. To, to, like, put it all on his back. Yeah. Because he has so many other things going. Yeah, well, it definitely has to be, the reins really, you know, the, really have to be given to people that are just nuts about it and, and that are gonna just be, that's all they're gonna do, full time. That's it. You know, even, uh, Orti and Kurtzman would not be, they could, they could be producers, but, you know, they, they would not be able to really run a show like that. Uh, well, they wouldn't want to. I'm certain of that. They could do it. They would not want to. Um, I don't know. I don't even if I, if somebody said anybody in Star Trek, obviously that's still alive and working, who would you want to to run the show? I'm not sure there's anybody I'd say. You know, yeah, in retrospect, I would have liked to see Manny Cotto have another season at Enterprise, but um, you know, I, it's been so great having Star Trek back in the culture, and I think that's because Paramount gave. The keys to uh, Abrams, they, you know, they let somebody totally new in, and, and I'm I'm all for that. You know, by the time Enterprise was over, I really felt like, you know, uh, Berman, Braga, they stuck around. I like the I like those guys, of course, but they stuck around too long. Um, so I, you know, I think that an equally important question is: Are are we ready for another Star Trek series right now? Um, mm-hmm. um, it, you know. It's hard for me to say no for anything. I'm going to almost say yes. <laughs> something bad. Because I just, I want it back on TV. I want to have that excitement of... Of, uh, of new Trek. Of, of having new yeah. Trek to watch. Because, I mean, it's the 50th anniversary coming up, of course, in, yeah. in 2016. And a lot of people have speculated that that is obviously a, a good time for a new series. So maybe maybe four years gives it enough time for to get some new blood in, get some new writers in and some new ideas. And, you know, maybe it well, can go I'd down a different be- route. You mentioned that 50th anniversary. It'd be nice if, you know, four years between uh, Abrams' first and second film really was a year too long. I'm, I'm still a little bit, little bit worried about um, 
that was too long to wait. But hopefully they'll just do three years between, say, a second and third Star Trek film. And then, yeah, we'd have a movie for the 50th anniversary. Like we had a movie for the 25th anniversary, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, although it's, it's hard. This is totally second. It's hard to imagine Paramount, like, advertising it that way. Because they, we even had TV spots from Abrams' first movie that said, this is not your father's Star Trek, which I was surprised at the time, because I remember, aren't there like whole college courses that, that taught, don't do what old, this is why Oldsmobile went bankrupt, right? Because they had, this is not your father's Oldsmobile. Well, anyway. Um, so <laughs> it's hard to imagine Paramount advertising, you know, for 50 years, because, you know, it's young people that are really paying the bulk of these movie tickets. And uh, would they see something that says it's, that talks about the fact that it's 50 years <laughs> old? I don't know. I'm not sure they would. Yeah. yeah, they probably wouldn't. They probably wouldn't do it that way. They would. Um, the, the people that care, they know already. You know, they're they're just gonna. I want some kind of a 50th anniversary, something. You know, yeah. for the 45th, all we got. You know, Creation had a couple of things, uh, and that's officially licensed and all. But that's really it. Paramount didn't really do anything. Mm-hmm. Hell, I, I saw more ABC News, like their main webpage, their main newspaper. Uh, last weekend for the 46th anniversary had a little blurb about it. And like, for the 46th, they're going to put that on their main page? I didn't even do that for the 45th. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we had the Google Doodle last week as well. Oh, oh yeah. That was, which was amazing. That was so, yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you for taking the time to join us, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank uh, you. No, Thanks for having us. You're more than welcome. And we're back. <laughs> um... So, uh, yeah, thanks again to the Trekmate guys for in, including us and uh, for letting us uh, post that. hope you guys enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed recording it. Um, so, I have a lot of Star Trek stuff. I'm, I'm, you know, I know there are some Star Trek fans that aren't into this stuff at all, and I totally respect that. But I am one of the people that's into these if I was like really, really, really rich, I would have a whole room that was just Star Trek stuff. Um, I'm not really, really rich, so most of my Star Trek stuff is in boxes. <laughs> it doesn't mean I don't have all the stuff. It just means it's in boxes in the closet, mostly. Um, but at my uh, office here at home, I do have a few things. I have a couple of display cases where I have <clears throat> all of the um, the toys from the last movie. Um, and then I have my display case. Now, if you guys may remember, I, I think I discussed it briefly last year, but the main thing is that I have a little shrine to Star Trek three. As I already mentioned today, my favorite Star Trek movie is Star Trek three and I'm kind of nuts for Star Trek three. Um, so I have a couple of shelves of nothing but Star Trek three stuff. And I would like to briefly discuss some of it now. Obviously, I have, um, I have, like every form of home video uh, that Star Trek Three has been released on. So I have um, the VHS and the Beta and the DVD and the Blu-ray. Um, but then I also have the video disc, which if you know. Maybe our younger listeners aren't aren't aware. That is not the same as LaserDisc. That is something that came out way earlier than Laser. Uh, It was actually, it came out around the same time as VHS, but you couldn't record to it. You can kind of think of VideoDisc as 
records, like LPs, but with movies on them. So they, for technically minded, VHS had 240 lines of resolution. Didn't look very good. Uh, video disc had 180. I think it was just about the lowest format of video ever released. It didn't. It only lasted a couple of years. But anyway, I do have the Star Trek III video disc. Um, and then, yes, I have the Star Trek III laser disc. And that one I had signed by Leonard many years ago. Uh, and then, actually, the pride and joy of my collection is a... <laughs> Philips CDI video CD of, of Star Trek 3 and uh, I bought it at a store in 1994 or 95 it was brand new um, video CDs were very popular in Japan for many years um, but they didn't do much here I have never seen this Star Trek 3 video CD for sale anywhere else I've never seen it show up on eBay any, uh, anything um, I haven't even seen any of the other Star Trek movies on domestic video C Phillips uh, video CD release. I kind of like that piece. Um, and then I have lots of other Star Trek three stuff. You know, I have lobby cards and comics and the, you know, different novelizations, including the little kid novelization, which is like a storybook. I have the book on book and record. Um, and then the, Storybook, which is, I, I think, more like for tweens, uh, scripts, um, production notes. I have the soundtrack in multiple formats, you know, cassette, CD, album, um, extended edition CD. Um, I have the action figures, which are super lame, actually, because they only released four of them, and they're they're not even really from the movie. Like they're wearing their outfits from Star Trek two, which they barely even wear, you know, the most of the, most of the time their costumes in Star Trek three are the, the, um, their civilian attire. And these toys are obviously just this Star Trek two on a Star Trek three card. So they're super lame actually. Um, <laughs> I think I mentioned this before too, but the, uh, commander Krug, right. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The back of the card <laughs> when they made these, um, you know, they, they they had to create the card so early that the picture they show of him with his pet Targ, the Targ is uh, is a little boy of Lassie. <laughs> <laughs> had just made a Lassie thing and they didn't have the Targ done yet, so the picture shows him <laughs> with Lassie next to him. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> um, what else have I got? Like a Oh, that's a that's a funny funny piece. This this one's very common though. I've seen it ever. It's like a uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, choose your own adventure book. Mm-hmm. The Star Trek three, like a Star Trek three spinoff. There's a couple of those. Um, the well, that's an interesting piece too. The the I have the Japanese lobby book, which has some really cool uh, custom art. Um, Star Trek the magazine many years ago did a, a different uh, special covers for Star Trek 3 for one of the anniversaries I think the 20th anniversary of Star Trek 3 maybe something like that um, with a lot of really cool interviews uh, um, of course everybody has the uh, Taco Bell glasses I have those in there too 
Um, the Franklin Mint plate. That's the only Star Trek. It's the only Star Trek plate I have. I know some people are really into collecting those, uh, but uh, yeah, I have the Star Trek Three, one of those. Um, and that's just kind of touching the surface. And I'm going to stop now because I think that even uh, Star Trek fanatics are probably getting bored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of Star Trek Three stuff. I I really like Star Trek Three. Um, I, I I have a lot of um, you know stuff that was not just period, but, you know, released later, um, maybe in the nineties, especially there was, there was a lot of Star Trek three stuff. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I like Star Trek three, <laughs> Steve. Uh, Oh, you know what? I'm going to mention one other piece I have that has no, no relation to Star Trek three. The only thing else that I have in my display cases in my office, cause I don't, I'm, you know, limited space. Like I said, most of my stuff is, is in the, the closet, but the, than the Star Trek Three shrine and the Playmate stuff from the last, you know, from the last Abrams movie. The only other piece I have out is a VHS of the DS9 episode, The Visitor, uh, that I had, which is a beautiful cover art, by the way. And I had Tony Todd and Sir Ock Lofton and Avery Brooks sign it. <laughs> cool. Okay. Um, Steve, what do you got that you're proud of i know you you used to collect a lot of star trek stuff steve for our listeners steve is a he's like me uh, and, and mr caesar you know he does have the collecting mindset but he does not limit himself to star trek he used to be much more focused on star trek nowadays i'm not sure if he does any star trek because he focused well even for the last couple of years you've been collecting um uh the disney uh what are they called yeah, I was collecting Vinylmation for some time, although I've stopped doing that too. But <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of on a trying to limit the stuff I buy mode a little bit. So now. So you used to collect a lot of Star Trek stuff. Yeah, I was, uh, yeah, in the 90s, I was uh, hardcore into it. I mean, I, I bought pretty much all the uh, Playmates line, you know, that started somewhere in the early 90s. And um, I went through it almost until they they stopped pretty much. Uh, I don't even have all of that anymore, but I do have quite a few, quite a bit of it still. I had a I had a, a room in a couple different places I lived. I had a whole room designated toward Star Trek stuff. Much, much of it was the the Playmates action figures and some other toys and ships and so on. Um, in in you know in bookshelves and cases and such, and also some other things like the cardboard stand ups. I had a few of those. I still have a few of those, just not out. Um, movie posters, such and that. So yeah, I was I pretty much got I was into all of it. But yeah, I did buy the, the Playmates line of toys. I pretty much had all of those, with just a few minor exceptions when I at its peak. You know, um, I. I, I, you know, some of the stuff that comes out now, I do, I do like. I see, and and there's a lot of companies that make some very detailed, interesting pieces and such. I just because I know my mindset, I just kind of have to draw the line and decide. Okay, well, I'm, you know, either I choose to have something I can display, but if I just start collecting, I just spend <laughs> tons of money and want it all, and you know, that's not, that's not good. So, have you bought anything Star Trek in the last, I don't know, couple of years? Um, the only, I guess the only thing would be the uh, Hallmark ornaments. I still get all of those that come out that are Star Trek themed. What are the new ones for? I mean, what are the ones they had for this year? Oh gosh, you know, I, I, I saw, I've seen them and I've, I've asked for them for Christmas, and I'm sure I'll get them for Christmas, you know, for my parents. But uh, I don't recall offhand what they are. Um, they usually, of course, do a, a character and they do a ship, and they've been doing they've been doing kind of a mix of 
the original series, they always have something from the original series. They've been having for the last couple of years something from the new movie, you know, which is kind of the same thing, but kind of not, you know. Um, but yeah, it just varies. What would they? What could they release that would be that would make you be like, okay, I want to buy that? I <laughs> think. Gosh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I, I did buy um, just recently. I bought a T-shirt that has the, you know, the, that that company that's putting out all the posters for each, one for each original series episode. Which I think it's really cool, but I'm not even going to start buying all those posters. But it's a really cool idea. They kind of this vintage retro look, and they're all unique. And there's one for each original series episode. I did buy a T-shirt recently that that featured one of those posters. I like the way they look. Ooh, a T-shirt. I know that doesn't sound like much, but it, I thought it was cool that those posters appeared on shirts. So it's something a little yeah, bit practical definitely. too. Yeah, I think if I remember correctly, they're they're putting them on shot glasses now too. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I remember you and I. Was that last year? We were really looking at the Anovis, Anovis, uh, the uniforms. Oh yes. Um, that yeah. If I you know, it'd be one of those things that if I wanted to splurge and just had a little ex, well maybe not a little, but a, a, a chunk of extra money that I didn't know what else to do with. And I want to do it. It'd be cool to have one of those costumes that company puts out because they're essentially exact replicas of what were worn the shows, and that's pretty awesome. Especially. Sorry, go ahead, Brian. Company I think is called Anovis. Um, they do other shows too. I mean, they do Battlestar and a couple other things. Um, but uh, yeah, they're. I mean, they're they're pricey, but I mean, they're, I think they're I want to say hundreds. They're not thousands. They're hundreds. Yeah, right? yeah, I believe so. Um, but very cool stuff. Very very cool stuff. Um, yeah, you know, it's not like like we're gonna we're gonna talk about music here in in, in a few minutes. Uh, and I am collecting all the music stuff, almost all of it. But other than that. There's not very much that I'm just collecting regularly. Every now and then there's just something like, okay, I really want that. For example, we talked about the books a minute ago. Um, I don't know if you guys heard about this, but because I didn't even know. And, uh, you know, in the, in the early 80s, there were a series of Star Trek newspaper strips. Again, to explain this for young people that might not be familiar, uh, it used to be when we were kids, uh, when I was a kid, you know, um, on Sundays there were th- there were the funnies, right? The funny papers, uh, and then maybe on the weekdays there'd just be like one or two strips in the newspaper comic strips. That would just be a few panels, you know, once a week a few panels. And uh, for many years in the early '80s, in this in the states there was a, a series of Star Trek newspaper strips, uh, and then there was another series I think in Europe. But at any rate, I've never I've only I've seen like. I remember one time one of the Star Trek magazines had an article about it. So I've seen like a bits and pieces, but I never really gotten to read them. Um, anyway, um, there's a hardcover book coming out in a couple of weeks that's collecting. They're calling it Volume One. It's it's not everything, but it's pretty significant. It's the first time it's ever this kind of stuff's ever been released, and I was really excited about that. So I did mm-hmm. order. Um, but that's that's an example of like you know the oddball thing that I'm just like okay yeah I really want that, um, but but generally speaking I'm not really just flat out collecting all of anything, um, I'm not yeah like like the toys for the new movie I'm gonna want them but I'm not gonna be able to just buy a couple either I buy them all or I buy none of them so I'm not sure if I'm what I'm gonna do if I'm gonna get any of those or not that's just an example uh, Mr Caesar. Um, 
What kind of stuff do you like? Stuff. Um. <clears throat> well, I started off um, building the models. I mean, I'm like you guys. I'm from a small town, a really small town in the middle of nowhere. So it wasn't like I um, had a lot of shows or different things like that coming through. So it was basically... You know, what you could get were toys from, you know, the grocery store or whatever. Um, I started off with, like, models. I actually built a, um, like, I don't know how old I was, probably like 10, 12, 13, something like that. I bought, built a um, model of the um, you know, original Constitution class Enterprise. And um, subsequently enough, I gotten that signed by all the original cast members except for DeForest Kelly. I even think I had you get, get me a signature on that, so you've had a piece hand in that. But, um... I remember. I was always, yeah, I was always fascinated in the ships, just like in the design, the schematics. Um, I used to have like books on um, the schematics of, of um, you know, all the ships at the time. You know how they worked. I used to know like the theory, you know, the warp drive theory, that kind of thing. Now you you can watch any kind of Discovery Channel or sci-fi show, and they'll tell you, you know, the theories behind Star Trek and the technology theories and that kind of thing. And so all that kind of stuff really fascinated me. Um, just kind of how that stuff worked. Um, like I said, I used to, I don't have those books anymore. Um, I still have most of the, um, the ships. Um, I believe I have, these are the toy ones, the big, you know, they're probably about a good foot, foot and a half long. You know, I have the original enterprise from the series, the, um, the movie enterprise. I believe it's a, I might have both. I might have the, the original movie, both original movie ships. Um, I think the only ones that I don't have are the defiance, Voyager and um, that might be it. Yeah, Defiant and Voyager and the oh, and the original Enterpri- um, Enterprise D. I have a model of Enterprise D, which um, Marina Spears signed um, at the first convention I went to. But um, that's the only D I have. I have like a couple small ver- versions of them um, that I kind of keep around the house as knickknacks. That's pretty much the only thing that I have displayed Star Trek wise. It's just like little knickknacks here and there. Um, yeah, both. Models and the uh, toy ships. Um, no, I only have like two models. Two models: the um, the original Enterprise from the show, and then both original Enterprises from both the original show and Next Gen. And then um, I have both toy models from the um, the movies and the toy model from the original show. And I also have um, Enterprise from the Enterprise show. And tell it so it's been so long. And I have the the next gen um, new Enterprise E rather, mm. but I haven't displayed all of them in so long. I think the only one that I have displayed out right now is the um, original Constitution class toy ship. Um, and then I have a, like a, I think I have a small mini version of the future Enterprise and Voyager, but I don't have a larger version of the Voyager. Oh, the, the all good things Enterprise with the third nacelle. Yeah, yeah, it's actually, you know, it's probably like three inches long. I actually use, you know, you were talking about Christmas ornaments. I actually use it as a Christmas ornament. I have that in Voyager, but yeah, it has the extra nacelle and the gun or whatever underneath the, the saucer. I don't think I've ever seen a little little bitty version of that. Um, it's like a high-res model. I mean, you know, that's where they kind of went to. That's why I stay away from those stores. Um, I went to one a couple of years ago, and I think that's where I got Voyager and um, the Enterprise, Future Enterprise. And they're only like maybe like two or three inches long. And I think they're like high res. Uh, I don't know if anybody's familiar. You know, like the high resin models that they build, um, and they were like twenty bucks a piece. They had like um, at the time they were doing like a lot of Battlestar stuff, and so they had the the wing and a bunch of the um, the different ships. And these were like 
super badass models like high res, you know, and they're like three, four hundred dollars a piece. So I generally stay away from stores like that. So I don't tempt myself. Uh, I mean, you know, these these models are sweet. Very cool. I'm sure there's a few listeners out there who know what I'm talking about. Um, But yeah, I stay away from them. It's just too much. You know, what's down and, and, and like Steve, and especially in the nineties, especially once I had a good, decent job. I mean, I was, I was just buying so much stuff, and I even then I didn't really have room for it. And now I have even less room for it, right? And I, you know, I'll, I'll go through every couple of years and purge. And at this point, I've gotten rid of pretty much because I've I collected a lot of toys over the years. I've pretty much gotten rid of everything that isn't Star Trek. But man, do I have a hard time getting rid of. <laughs> that Star Trek on it, no matter what it is. I, I I was in my closet the other day. Do you guys realize? I think this is the this week is the tenth anniversary of Star Trek Nemesis. I was in my closet the other day, and there was that cheapy little plastic bowl that was an AMC popcorn bucket that said Star Trek Nemesis on it that I saved. <laughs> what a <laughs> yeah! I still have um from the last movie that came out. I have just, it's just a really it's a white cheap this plastic cup it just says star trek and black letters on it and it's pretty much faded and um, i still can't get myself to get rid of it even though it's like it's just, just a crappy cup at least at least that's from a movie dude i have i have a cheap plastic crappy cup that i got from del taco that talks about star trek online <laughs> no, that's bad when you can't get rid of that oh all right let's move on next section Okay, we've just got a couple sections left today. Uh, you guys, you're still feeling the holiday cheer, right? You're drinking your eggnog and everything? Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, good. Um, so, one thing I definitely really love is Star Trek music. And the last couple of years, if you're a Star Trek music collector, it's been a great, great time. Because, you know we finally started getting these complete recordings. So for many years, you know, any soundtrack, any score you had to any of the film, it was always the soundtrack type of album, which meant, you know, maybe they composed 90 minutes of music for the movie, but they put 40 minutes on a, on a disc and they changed the order and they, you know, gave them funny titles and whatever. And, I owned all of those because that's all that was available, but I've always wanted to have the complete scores. Um, and that's something that kind of started coming out in stuff other than Star Trek. Even back in the 90s, I remember when they first released like the complete Kroll score and I went crazy. But in the last couple of years, we've finally started getting complete Star Trek scores. So that's been really awesome. So we've had... Now, it's been a couple of different companies. Um, Lala, Land music and intrada are a couple of the companies that have been doing this um we've gotten all of the original series movies at this point so one two three one two three four five six all of those have been released in complete editions they, they kind of depending on what company has put it out they'll they'll change the name you know some of them say expanded edition or um complete recording whatever um We've also had two of the next-gen movies, so Generations, which just came out within the last couple of weeks, even. Um, I bought one of the early copies, so Dennis McCarthy signed it, woohoo! Uh, as well as First Contact, which came out 
I think that was earlier this year. Yeah. Um, so we have not gotten uh, insurrection or um, nemesis yet, but I'm hoping they're coming. Uh, for, for the last Abrams film, Michael Giacchino's score, they did release that is what they call a deluxe edition, is it, which was a two-CD set complete, um, which is really great, except for the fact that it's in this annoyingly oversized case. I really, I hate that. That sucks. But anyway, <laughs> so basically, at this point, if you're a Star Trek music collector, you can get complete scores for every single, all, all 11 currently available films, minus two. Um, Nemesis, there is still, a, uh, there's an SACD available, um, which uh, I think is really, really noticeably superior. It's very good. Um, I wish they'd release some more of those, but of course it's still just the soundtrack album. It's not the complete score. Um, and they have been releasing uh, the TV, the, the episode uh, music in some different compilations that have been good. We recently got a Next Gen Collection Volume 1 that had a bunch of Dennis McCarthy and Jay Chataway, along with a little bit of, um, like a couple of episodes from John Debney, John Davis, and somebody else. Um, and Steiner, Fred Steiner. And that, that was good. And by the way, all of this stuff, almost all of these, have had uh, liner notes from Jeff Bond, the guy that wrote the music of Star Trek book. Um, and his liner notes are just superb. There's, it's a really great package. You know, the, It's nice because most of this, I don't think any of this have they put on iTunes. It's all been you have to actually buy the discs, right? Um, and if I'm going to do that, which I would prefer so I can get the superior sound quality. But it's really great that they put these, they take the time to do these nice liner notes and things. And, and Jeff Bond is definitely the man to do it. He's great. But what we just got in the last two weeks has been the single greatest Star Trek music collection ever released. And dare I say, it will never be topped. Um, La La Land put out a complete set of all the music for the original series in one 15-disc box set um, called Star Trek, the original series soundtrack collection. And it is amazing. It's incredible. So in, inside the box, it's got like... So, so, so aside from the fact that it has all of the music, it has all of the uh, different uh, extras, that even, even music that wasn't released or was cut out of the episodes. It has everything. And it has it broken down by season. So there's a, there's a season one... Um, little box and inside the bigger box right and it has five discs there's a season two with five discs and a season three with five discs each one of those boxes for each season has its own set of liner notes and then there's another set of liner notes and jeff bond wrote all this stuff um that talks about the music in a more in more general terms um and it's fantastic it is so awesome i i frankly we're never going to get that for you know, the modern series is because it would just be too much music. But, you know, the original series, they only actually wrote music for maybe for about 10 episodes per season. And then they would, they would do like a shorter cut of this track or a longer cut of this track just so they could use it for um, laying in the score uh, for the rest of the episodes. So they would only budget to actually score maybe 10 ish episodes. Um, which meant, after only three seasons, that we were actually able to put it all into one 
it's still admittedly large 15 disc box set but it's the kind of thing you can't imagine next gen ds9 voyager any of those show even enterprise with every single episode being a completely separate scored piece i mean we're never going to get that we're never going to get that a complete set so getting this for the original series which is some of my favorite music too has just been awesome um if you're going to own only one piece of Star Trek music in your life, I think that that should be it. <laughs> Have you guys seen this thing? I've read something about it, I believe. Uh, yeah. It's um, a little bit pricey, but it's worth it. No, I hadn't heard of it. I knew about the um, releasing the, the film tracks you were talking about earlier. I have the um, the con, con one, but no, I hadn't heard about the them releasing all the music for the original series. Um. My my only complaint about some of these collections has been some of these newer movie discs has been when they do like two discs and the second disc is just the original soundtrack. I mean that seems like kind of a <laughs> I, I don't need that. Hey, real, real quick question because you obviously have um the Star Trek three version. So um, stealing the Enterprise on the original soundtrack, um, it's great that opening violin piece that solo that goes into and I know in the movie it's a little bit different how does it play on the um, on the disc um, I remember it, you know I haven't listened to that one since it came out which was a couple years ago okay. but I do remember like getting into it or maybe getting out of it was, was pretty different um, I'm looking at the back of the box right now and it has almost the same Oh, no. It it has almost the same running time, but there is it says it's different than the version used in the motion picture. Yeah, cuz I know in the motion picture it's it's actually a little bit lighter than it is on the soundtrack. Hmm. Uh, which is kind of weird because it's a it's a very good. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're familiar with the soundtrack, you know that opening piece is just great. It's that just going the some violinist just going at it. But yeah, when you watch the movie it's a lot softer. So, anyway. Yeah. Just curious. And that's the exact kind of thing that you can get out of these, out of these uh, original scores. Heck, even yeah, see, even this one's retrograde. Yeah, so I don't understand why so many different companies are putting these things out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's cool. I'm, I'm... Yeah, I bought the con one because you get the um, Amazing Grace bagpipes in there. Yeah. If anybody's curious about that, yep, that's where you get it. That was the first one anybody put out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was cool. There was a there is one that I haven't picked up. Uh, you know, I get like complete sets of next gen DS9, whatever. But I mean, that's that's true. But there was a complete set put out within the last couple of years, um, which had you know Ron Jones basically traded off on next gen with Dennis McCarthy for the first four seasons of next gen, basically. Um, and uh, they eventually replaced Ron Jones with Jay Chataway because Ron Jones' music was still was a little too thematic for the producers. Um, but he's... I, I respect Ron Jones, and he did some cool stuff, but, but he's... I don't... If they put out, like, a complete Dennis McCarthy box, I would buy it. Um, <laughs> thing I, he's just not my favorite, um, and it's, it's pretty expensive for what it is. Uh, so I have not picked that one up, but that's a, that's another thing that's been released in the last couple of years. Um, so anyway, yeah, if you like the original series music, this box set is killer. Um, it's awesome. Okay. 
And finally, on this cold winter's night, <laughs> uh, we have to talk about Star Trek in the Darkness, of course. So when we recorded our last podcast, um, I think they had just released the poster, but we hadn't seen any trailers yet, right? So since then, that we've had three things. We had a 60-second, what they called, announcement trailer. Uh, we had a two-minute teaser that... Uh, and at this point, both of those are online if you haven't seen them. Uh, and then also there was the nine-minute prologue, which is basically the first nine minutes of the movie uh, that's playing ahead of digital IMAX versions of The Hobbit. And I know Steve and I have seen that nine-minute prologue. Mr. Caesar, did you see that or no? Yeah, I've seen them all. You saw the prologue too? Yes. Okay, cool. So, all, all three of us have seen the prologue and both trailers. What are your thoughts? It's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was impressed. And, you know, I mean, definitely, the <laughs> you're going to have some really nice action scenes in there. I mean, that's kind of pretty much what they show. If you haven't seen it, it's basically just uh, an, action sh- an, ac- an action scene going on right... I'm talking about the prologue. Talking An action scene right in the middle of it happening, so... If you're afraid of it giving away the movie, it doesn't. It's just, it's just an action scene. You don't know why it's and why they're doing what they're doing, but um, it looks fabulous. And that's, you know, if you get to see it in 3D, it's even better. Um, the colors were great. Uh, but, you know, it's what you would expect. Let's put it that way. Steve. Yeah, yeah, it looked very exciting and. Uh, um it's it's interesting how you try to figure out w- w- what the characters are, what they're doing, uh, what the you know it's kind of built like that. Where what we've seen in the teasers and even in the first nine minutes, you don't have a full grasp on where they're going with it or what it's going to be like. Although there are definitely some clues. It's it's interesting and, and uh, yeah, it's interesting. Of course, the biggest controversy every bloody website right now is. Who is Benedict Cumberbatch playing? Who is the villain? We've officially seen the name John Harriman uh, from Paramount, um, but of course, people are still wondering if his, if he's really, you know, Khan or Gary Mitchell or something like that. Um, I can't help but wonder that too. You know, like in the prologue, <laughs> um, you hear. Uh, the grieving father say, "Who are you?" And of course, I'm like, "Yeah, who, who are you?" Um, um, it left me the feeling that he has something to do with genetics, if nothing else. Well, that sounds like Khan, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, I I don't see it being Khan, but it could be in the in the neighborhood because obviously Khan is at this point he would be on the what is it the the bounty, right? Is that the ship they were on? Well, I don't trust them to do keep consistent with anything we've seen. You know, in fact, this would be a few years before that takes place, so it's hard to it's hard to say if they're going to do that. Um, you know, so I I don't know. They kind of have well, a free reign to do whatever they want, so I don't know. A couple of the other things that make you wonder about Khan, and obviously, anything I'm saying now is could be considered a spoiler, but it's nothing that isn't official. So they officially in the same press photos that they named Cumberbatch as um, John Harriman. They named Alice Eve's character as Carol Marcus. Um, so, you know, Star Trek II, Carol Marcus makes you think about Khan. And then there's a one shot, and I'm kind of getting them confused. I think it was in the two-minute trailer. Mm-hmm. There's a sh- Yeah, there's there's a shot where, where there are a couple people 
are walking out of what maybe a cargo bay or something, and you see all these little pods. Um, and I, the first time I saw the trailer, I thought they were coffins. Um, but then after watching it a few more times, they've got the little uh, places for their faces. And, and you can kind of see some like frost on it or something. And that makes you think that they're some kind of stasis pods and not coffins. And then that makes me think more about Star Trek too. You know, you know, and here's my, here's my opinion and, and no one's asked me. So it's like, <laughs> I'm just totally making this up from what I've seen, but I, you know, with some knowledge of Trek and what they might be going for here. And this isn't based on anything that we've all haven't read already and such with these potential characters and what I think is going on. I think there's a couple things here. I think, I think I don't think he's con, but I think it's connected to con. I think it's I think what they're doing is and I think and I think since we know there's going to be a third movie, I think they're leading into something. I think this is going to be a big story. It's about this guy, whoever he is connected to con. He obviously has powers. He offers he can heal people. I think I think there's kind of some indications that maybe Kirk is going to have to make a decision regarding uh, maybe Spock or some uh, someone dying that this guy can save for him that's the kind of vibe i get out of this and i think so i think partially there's an homage in some of these scenes and the way it's set to wrath of khan but i also think because of the characters there's something to come and maybe maybe khan's in the third film you know i I think they could be doing something like that but that's my opinion Uh, that makes sense it definitely makes sense i did what is it there's the um the hands touching in the glass yeah 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 that's that's reminiscent made me think of hmm but no, I agree with you. I don't think this guy is Khan, but um, I, I would agree with your theory that it could be leading towards Khan. I would be disappointed if he was Khan, honestly. Um, I'm not exactly sure why, but I, I don't want him to be Khan. I really don't. Benedict Cumberbatch is great, I will say. You know, he's even just these little snippets we've seen. You know, I, I've watched him in the Sherlock show, and um, what was that other that movie he did with the Tinker Taylor Solar? Soldier Spy, you know he's great in that. Um, but he's he's certainly, you know, very talented to play this villain. Who does he um, play in um, Sherlock Holmes? Sherlock Holmes. Oh, he plays Sherlock Holmes. Okay, my bad. Yeah. Oh, it's I. It's on Netflix. I highly recommend checking mm-hmm. it out. It's very. It's, and then Martin Freeman plays Watson. It's it's pretty good. Does he do? Uh, well, is he doing? I'm sorry, we're jumping. Does he do the voice of Smog? Did I hear that right? Never mind. Go ahead. I've heard. I've heard someone say that. I have not. Researched. His name. His name was in the credits. So he's. He no. He maybe he was the. Um, the, dead-ish guy that the. I see. I don't, I'm. I'm showing how much I little I know about the Hobbit. I think maybe he was the. The the mysterious figure that that um, the woodsmany. Wizard oh, the, the, the necrophiliac. Yeah, so, maybe that's maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I'm well, see, sure. I, I heard he was being the voice of Smog. Yeah, maybe that's right. Maybe that's right. Then. Um, but then why would his name be in the credits on this first movie? Because I don't think we heard Smog. Well, Smog's in the movie. Yeah, but uh, anyway. I don't know. Maybe maybe they just do all the credits since they shot them all at the same time. That's <clears> yeah, yeah. At any rate, um, I remember like that first sixty second spot. The, the thing that really seeing the enterprise coming up out of the water i was like holy crap you know it, it's it was exciting from the point of view that it was like i have never seen that before i'm not sure that i that that it makes sense to me um i saw anthony what's his name on uh, trek movie said shouldn't there be like massive massive 
things of steam getting, you know, the water getting cooked like crazy from the, from the cells. It, you know, like, yeah, that's a good point. You know, I'm not sure it necessarily makes sense, but it sure looked cool. And it looked like I have never seen that before. And that, that is, that is a neat feeling, you know, with Star Trek. Cause, uh, you know, over 700 hours of television and 11 movies at this point, and to see something completely new, that was, yeah, was that was good. that was cool. And then there was also the shot of another ship, not the Enterprise, but some other ship crashing into the water. I think in San Francisco, that also looked awesome, and I haven't seen that before. So I'm sure the movie is going to be super exciting and action packed, no doubt about that. I guess one my my one complaint about the pro the them swimming back to the Enterprise that looked kind of cheesy. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of the Phantom Menace when they were swimming yeah. in the water. <laughs> but on a cool detail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, it looked a little funny at first. I'm like, well, how can they hold their breath that long? But then they showed them when they came into the they they, they, they had something. Yeah, yeah little, but it, little, but little. what they were using looked like what was that thing that James Bond used in Thunderball the rebreather? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it looked like. Um, but oh, uh, the, the inside the volcano was awesome. Yeah. I mean, it was, that was incredible. Yeah. I also like Spock's line, I'm surprised I'm still alive. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of it's weird to me to think about, because unlike, say, putting the Dark Knight, the Dark Knight Rises prologue on a movie six months before it comes out, um, just to get people excited, doing that with Star Trek... And I haven't heard anybody talk about this, but wouldn't they have to, like, there was so much CG work, they would have to do complete and finish all of that mm-hmm. six months before the movie comes out. That seems kind of crazy to me. But anyway. Um, so, excited. Exciting. Indeed. Yeah. Oh, well, Christmas is nearly here, so... I think it's nearly time for us to take a little holiday break. Well, all right. Um, so we're going to take th- three weeks off. So instead of, you know, normally we'd be, we'd be back in two weeks, we're going to come back in three weeks. We're just going to have one extra week before our next podcast um, so that we can all enjoy the holidays with our families. And uh, then we're going to get right back into next gen. Um, guys, this was nice. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> uh, follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek Companion. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash Trek Companion. You can send us an email. Trek Companion at gmail.com. Uh, you could leave a review for us on iTunes and say, I love Christmas, so I love Trek Companion. it's late folks alright so see you in three weeks bye guys have a good new year see you bye